Welcome aboard the AdoTat Show, where marketing, media, and ad tech converge. Fasten your seatbelts as your host. Hisat Latin steers you through the digital world of advertising trends and marketing innovation. Deserve to win when it matters most. Facing multi-billion dollar bet the company litigation. No problem. That's why we're here. Troutman Amin, LLP, is a true legal powerhouse. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Lotus' latest episode of the Adotic Show, where we give ad tech history a cheeky, irreverent twist. Today, we're not just scratching the surface. We're diving deep into the stories and legends that shape this dynamic industry. First, we have Rich Lafargy, the ad tech widget who's been in the game since the days of dial-up. From shaping giants like Starwave and Disney Internet Group to being the mastermind behind the Interactive Advertising Bureau, Rich's fingerprints are all over the industry, and let's just say they're not smudges. And then there's Richie Glassberg, the digital dawn of the startup world. This guy has more roles in his career than a Hollywood A-lister, from founding team, team members of CNN to being the big cheese at Safeguard Privacy. If that's not enough, he helped create the Internet Advertising Bureau. If we had an Internet Advertising Hall of Fame, Richie's face would be on a plaque, probably with sunglasses. Next is Judy Shapiro, the CEO of Topic Intelligence Engage Simply. She's not just pushing the envelope in marketing, she's sending it first class. Judy's been at the forefront of blending traditional digital marketing, and let's just say if there are belts for marketing and advertising, she'd be a black belt. And strutting onto the scene is Scott Schiller, the media maestro who turns NBC Universal's digital revenues from a tiny spark into a bonfire. He's reimagined business models like bottles like a magician pulling rabbits out of hats. And let's be honest, <laughs> in our crazy industry, if our crazy industry was a sport, Scott would be in the starting lineup. And finally, we've got returning once again to our show, Shiv Gupta, the co-founder of U of Digital, making ad tech cool for classrooms. He's the sensei of digital marketing, turned complex jargon into knowledge bombs. Formerly a big shot in the digital marketing realm, Shiv's now sharpening minds of the next ad tech ninjas. So grab your popcorn and buckle up. This episode's going to be a wild ride through ad tech history with these industry legends. First of all, issue one, the dot-com dance. If you're like me, you started in the 90s when dial tones were the soundtrack of innovations and the internet was wild as a backstage party at Nirvana concert. It was the birth of ad tech amidst the chaos of the dot-com boom and bust. Giants like AOL and Yahoo were the cool new kids, while companies like 24-7 Media and Advertising.com were cooking up something special in the digital kitchen. This was the era of mixed, unbridled optimism and brutal reality checks, with money flowing as freely as the ideas setting the stage for the digital media landscape we navigate today. So my question, Survivor Saga, how did companies like 24-7 Media navigate the digital Wild West and come out alive? Scott. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I was thinking as you asked the question, I think the what you really mean to ask is uh, how did we get from there to here? And I would say to you that um, companies like that uh, and many others that we're going to talk about today uh, were technologies ultimately designed to make the various aspects of the world of digital marketing and advertising, something real and something scaled. And I would say that I know we'll probably talk are what ultimately 
created the framework for a growing, evolving business. All technology does is give the players an opportunity to bring it to the next level, as we were seeing then with with a company that is trying to make the advertising ecosystem better, faster, easier. Um, and we see it today with everything that's happening in the world. Was 24-7 before media uh, before its time? I know. remember they had data, they had serving, they had like five or six divisions. I mean, I think the fact they had their own, what we would call data clean rooms now, what, 20 years ago was pretty amazing. Shiv, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I started my career at ad.com, very similar to 24-7. Uh, and yeah, I felt like we were before our time um, because we were doing all the things that, you know, we talk about in the programmatic space today. We we're doing them 15, 20 years ago. Um, we we're doing real-time bidding. We were doing retargeting a lot. We were doing, you know, um, a lot of audience targeting. We we're collecting data. Uh, we were doing dynamic creative. We we're doing all those things. And it, it was in 2005, right? Um, and so I think they were before their time. And what happened is, you know, in the, the 2010s, you know, along came the new wave of companies like a trade desk and a media math. And, you know, some of these these newer programmatic companies that put a new kind of sheen on that business model and also kind of brought transparency to that business model. Because like at ad.com, we were doing all the things, but we were doing them behind the scenes. Right. And we did not evolve fast enough to like open up what we were doing and the market like kind of push in that direction. And then the companies like 24-7 and ad.com fell behind, right? So I think they were a little too before their time and they weren't able to kind of combine the the newer needs of marketers once programmatic became a thing with like the old kind of mechanisms that they invented. Um, and so, yeah, I think they kind of fell off a little bit as a result. Well, I think, you know, all those companies, even going back to 1995, constantly reinvented the technology that we were using, like AOL and Yahoo were the on-ramps to the internet. Yahoo was the first place that you could go to where there was a lot of traffic. When I was at heading up sales at ESPN.com, we had a lot of users because they were male and they were high tech and they liked sports. Then out of nowhere came Yahoo. And we were like, wow, Yahoo has an awful lot of traffic. Um, you know, and then, you know, you fast forward to something like advertising.com, where we saw that advertising.com was getting an awful lot of business, but we really didn't understand why, you know, as publishers. And so each, I'd say five years, there would be kind of a reinvention of the technology and new com companies would come and go. There would be mergers and acquisitions there would be companies that got bought and then they would be sunsetted by the acquirer like i was on the board of uh, blue lithium and it was an ad network sold for 300 million dollars to disney and um ultimately um it got shut down by yahoo and you know there was a lot of that going on as these companies were ingested and then rejected um, as technology evolved outside. So I think, you know, Shiv's experience is, yes, the trade desk came along and advanced things even more, but that's kind of been the cycle for the last 30 years. 
Yeah, and it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder, right? Like um, companies, you know, this is this is the pattern of corporate America. Like companies build things, they invent things, but then the the copycats come along and they they add to it a little bit, right? And the the smart ones will say that's really cool. But if I just did X, Y, Z more on top of that, I could really like I could really bring something valuable to the market that the market's asking for right now. And then that kills the originating company, right? And so that happens over and over and over. That's the cycle of corporate America. Copycats are the ones that come five, ten years later that innovate on top are the ones that end up actually like winning in a big way. Yeah, it's the second yeah. mouse syndrome. The second yeah. mouse does a much better job than the first mouse. You know, I, I want to go back to a conversation I had in, in 1995, 96 with Richie, because I think, Richie, this, this conversation kind of frames this discussion, which is um, when we were talking about what was necessary to make digital advertising, the digital landscape, digital monetization, all that uh, grow and become something we hearken back to the the 80s and 90s in cable TV, and I'll, I'll let Richie tell the story. But the idea here is that you know content, context, efficiency, in their form since the 1950s and 60s, technology has enabled as well as created uh, new opportunities. But but Richie's idea, which ultimately became the, the the one of the, the you know founding principles of the IAB was let's show the ecosystem how to evolve to a new uh, a new medium and adopt the best practices of you know the previous era and that's all technology does it just takes um, a thing and it helps the co the consumer get more today everything's on demand everything's personal. Of course, that's created all kinds of new issues like like privacy and identity and all that stuff. But Richie, I think you tell that story the best. Well, I mean, listening to Rich and Shiv, I, I think, Pesach, your question, you can look at pre-2010 and post-2010. And I think pre-2010, before ad.com, Shiv, 24-7 was a rep firm. Rep firms existed in this world, right? You had radio, you had broadcast television, you had local. Then you had the advent of cable where you had niche networks, right? Then you had the internet came along. And this was all funded by advertising dollars. Agencies, I would say this nicely, are not on the cutting edge of how we do things. So a lot of times agencies <laughs> want to buy in the same way the old has been. So there's a lag. So 24-7 was a rep firm, Pesach. They didn't get, they didn't have data in the beginning. They didn't have four divisions. I mean, in the first six or five years when Davey was running, it was a rep firm. They represented other properties and they had a salesperson that went into media companies and they literally sold space. And we all, me, Rich, Scott, we were all selling a banner ad. And then we had an ad server. There was no data until we had the ad server and then the ad server collected the data and all that flowed. <laughs> And I, I think it just evolved. But as Shiv said, 2010, I, I like that, Shiv, and you can correct me, but I, I think that's the demarcation of programmatic advertising and where real data came. Because there, let's be honest, there just wasn't a lot of data. The agencies couldn't take it. People couldn't take it. They weren't decisioning on that data. But to Scott's point, you know, there was a bunch of us that came together, and a lot of us 
Rich grew up at an agency. Scott grew up at a client. And then with me at MTV, you know, we're, there were things like the, you know, broadcast television. There was the cable advertising bureau. And we grew up selling in the 80s and early 90s, wide cable versus broadcast. And it was an argument of an industry trade group of data so that agencies and clients could understand because for 50 years they were buying broadcast television or they were buying print. And the internet blew all that up. The internet is radio. The internet is print. The internet is television. The internet is classified ads. You know, it, it blew all that up. And the, the buy side didn't know how to understand that. So, you know, Scott said it earlier, every five to 10 years, Rich was talking about it, Shiv. This is creative destruction, but I think it's creative destruction in the service of getting the marketers and the agencies to understand how to reach an audience. Because at the end of the day, this is putting the right ad in front of a person who's either going to love that brand, may not buy it for five or 10 years, aspirational, love that brand, need it today, love that brand, need it later. And the, the last thing I'll say is Shiv's point is exactly right. I mean, and I'm, I need to be fact checked on this, but I think Google was the eighth search engine. There were like eight iterations, right? Rich, your point of the second mouse? Like, they were the eighth, remember like, yeah, they were the eighth search engine. But then they had that the bidding and the second bid and you know, blah, 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 everybody knows the tech. And then that took that technology off. So it was really all of us. There was 30 in the first meeting or however many. Rich knows all the details. We were all, let's start the IAB because agencies and clients were like, I don't know what this is. I can't buy this. And Rich had great ideas. Scott had, we all had great ideas. And some of them were, you know, um, one of the great ideas Rich had, which I think catapulted the industry was people didn't believe people were spending on the internet. So we, we hired PwC and the first spending report, which is in effect today, was able to say to brands and marketers, see, this is real. I mean, it's blocking and tackling like that. We did standard banner sizes. We did terms and conditions. People laugh at that and like, oh, you're stifling the internet. No, if a buyer can't buy something in a marketplace, then there is no programmatic. Programmatic doesn't exist if you don't have a standard size, a standard way. You know what IB Tech Lab is doing today with the T's, uh, with the, you know, the TCF and all that stuff. You need standards for this market to grow. And a lot of us grew up in markets where we learned that standards help things grow hugely. And I think that's all part of the creative destruction that everybody else has mentioned earlier. Does that answer Judy, what you were thinking, Scott? Yeah. Judy, what's your experience in the early? I, I come at it very differently on one level because I don't think you can understand the growth of digital advertising until you understand the growth of the internet at a technology point of view. So I was at Bell Labs in the late nineties and the, you know, we were just building the internet. Digital marketing was, you know, a banner ad, I used to run at uh, AT&T, we, we put up banner ads, but that wasn't really advertising. The key is you can't have advertising unless you have both sides cared for. You have to have the infrastructure and you have to have people who have the infrastructure. So it wasn't until the, you know, the dot-com bust, busted because of a collision and, a, a, and not a good match. Post the bust, then people began to understand, yes, the internet's real, yes, you could buy stuff. And that's really, for me, the, the launch of digital marketing. And that, remember, the internet was meant to be a free resource to everybody. It was not built for people delivery, for ver much verification, 
SS Health didn't even come onto the scene until 2007, and I worked at a, at a security company. So it was it was the Wild West, but it was first just getting the the basics on the on the playing field. So for my money, digital marketing really didn't take off until I would say 2005 and on. Programmatic for me was an evolution, both good and bad. You know, when we talk about transparency, I agree with you. A lot of digital agencies before programmatic really did just do things behind the scenes. Programmatic gave you process transparency, but not product transparency, which caused a whole nother downstream. So you can't think of digital marketing without understanding the technology environment that it was literally birthed in. Well, I, I just want to jump in here because I did a little, Richie talked about fat checking. In 2005, according to Comscore, there was $143.2 billion spent on internet advertising and spending. I would say to you, and a lot of it was travel and, and all that, but I would say to you that it existed. Yes. It became, it became a much bigger thing as consumers were able to um, integrate it into their lifestyle, which had to do with broadband acceptance just as digital video really didn't start to take off until until the you know the um you had that but i i would say it's been a business um forever it's just a matter of how do you institutionalize it well so, so this is where i agree with you with a but the but for me is a lot of the very early digital advertising was you know direct placement or yellow pages or that kind of very functional kind of thing. The idea of a brand buying a campaign was later. I'll give you an example. I was working at AT&T during that period, the early 2000s. To me, websites were an annoyance. It was digital collateral. Why would I do it? Why would I bother? So there, there was money there, and I'd love to know what was in there. So I'm going to now do my own research because I'm fascinated with that. I guess I the the current programmatic technological ability of digital marketing for me again opinion of one for me really was catapulted once you had better security on the internet once you had broadband so humans could get it that's when it became the trillions of dollars that is now flowing through through our digital pipes you know Judy I think sorry, go ahead. I think I think there, you know, as a seller of internet advertising back in 1995, I got to tell you that there was always marketing going on. It's evolved over time, and you may not, you know, you may have been um, more skeptical, but there was a tremendous amount of money flowing into the business, and that's why we did the IAB Price Waterhouse Cooper spending report to show that people were actually spending. One yes, of the things that we that. also did, we worked with Rex Briggs to show that there was a brand awareness effect through display advertising, mm -hmm. which is continues to be a business today where display yeah. and other social, other formats are increasing brand awareness. And, you know, we it's, it's evolved to a conversation about top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel. But we have always had the ability to, before there was transactions, say in the mid, you know, the mid to late 90s, when that was tougher to do, we've always had a brand building 
business, although there was a whole group that wanted mm -hmm. this to be a direct marketing medium. So I would posit that um, it's, it's marketing just has evolved in terms of what we could do in yeah. the mid nineties to 2000 to 2010 to 2023. And the proof in the pudding is the spending. And right now we're at $210 billion. Right, right, right. Right. We're 73% of the spend. We're three times bigger than broadcast television. Yeah. And, you know, when we were all selling in the mid nineties and, and beyond, you know, the problem was the gold standard for agencies was broadcast television. Yeah. Right? right. It was very hard to sell against, but you know, that has been the thing that where the industry has evolved with the sight, sound and motion of television with video has evolved with mobile is going to evolve mm -hmm. even more on the technological side with mobile. I mean, with uh, AI mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing that Richie referenced before, which was data. Like we didn't have data. We didn't sell right. data. Data is now <clears throat> flipping the model yeah. and data is advertising, right? I agree. It is the targeting. It is what advertisers want. And I remember I had a real big battle. We all had a really big battle with IBM and yeah. Mary, Marianne Caponetto, because she wanted to say that when she ran a campaign on ESPN.com that she owned the data. And we were like, hey, it's our audience. We own the data. And then we got to the point where, well, let's both own the data, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like 1999. Yeah. Like, so there was yeah. some data, but the, the world yeah. has changed dramatically, but we were still doing marketing in 1996. Of course. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me, let me, and tell me if you agree with this, because digital marketing has been around. I was planning it. I was on agencies and client signs. All I'm saying is there is, to me, almost a marked difference, a real different kind of business to do what I'm going to call direct buys, right, with through agents versus platform buys. To me, that's like, you know, apples and oranges. It's, to me, conceptually, it's a very different thing. So I completely agree. There was always digital marketing flowing. For myself, again, I was at AT and T. I I've never sold digital media, so I speak, you know, maybe the the outside voice. I would buy direct things just because it was easy, whether it was doing NASCAR or Olympics or whatever. But it was it was just part of it was another channel to me. It wasn't that important. It became important when it became a platform that you could then quickly turn on advertising, turn off advertising, and measure. So that for me is like a different animal. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, that's the way I, I conceptualize it. Before we move on, I wanted to ask, what are some colossal failures that you guys remember you'd like to talk about? The biggest failure I, we I, made was, I'm sorry. The biggest no, failure not, not necessarily was, what you did, but no, colossal failures think, that you remember. I think like, the biggest like, colossal failure of the industry is to adopt the click as a measure of effectiveness. Yes. I think yeah. to this day, the click-through rate has destroyed the ability to judge what this industry is. Correct. And I'm not going to say who, we all have opinions, you know, where it came from. I think it is the single biggest factor holding back 
the understanding of what internet advertising and is today. Quality. Are, aren't most, CD, and aren't most CPC firms everything. gone? Besides, what besides Google, that? What, who sells CPC anymore? R not, Richie, fault do you think that is? Well, other than me, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it's very clear. I, I, I will tell you, I think there was a... There was a lot of different people that came to sales back in the day. There were people that came from cable. There were people that came from agencies. There were people that came from radio, people that came from print. And I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble and say, there was a bunch of people from print who said, oh, this is measurable. We can count how many clicks. And they and the click, the click and the cookie are the two things. The cookie was never intended to be what it is today. Let's it is not change a, the subject. Let's okay, not change the click. The click, so the, right. the click, click through. So help I would take a look. Rich, help me out. I would take it one step further. Thank you, Rich. The problem with click throughs was that there were a lot of technology people who were not media people who got into the business. Exactly. And that has been something that has plagued the industry for years because the mantra back then, and Richie, you almost said it. To the right ad to the right person at the right time, which is such baloney nonsense crap yeah. that that the people that don't know what they're talking about yep. continue to say. And one of the most frustrating things about the growth of the business was back in the you know mid to late nineties, you'd have these technology CEOs who became pundits who would talk about the most measurable medium, the most, you know let's talk about click-throughs and there was no accountability. People could say whatever they wanted to say and they got on their soapbox and that's what people started to talk about. So it, you know, the, the world has evolved. We're a lot more measurable. We're a lot more targeted, but again, you know, say the C word, you know, as we are sunsetting the cookie and deprecating the cookie, you know, that whole measurability has is becoming something that we have to deal with again. Targeting, we have to deal with again, going from third party to first party data. Um, but I would say the original sin of advertising back then was the click through. Now, a lot of people who are also pundits like to say the original sin of the internet was advertising. And, yeah, and they love right? yeah. to say, gee, all this advertising is horrible. Why, you know, if we had only used micro, you know, payments and transactions, the world would be a much better place. Let's have a search engine that, you know, where you pay for the search engine. And the thing that people keep on forgetting is that free has worked forever and will forever work, right? And so ad-supported media and content um, where that content is free is always going to work. So I would just, you know, preempt people who are going to say the original sin of the Internet was advertising. I would say the original sin of Internet advertising, I agree with Richie, was the click through. Yeah, but I'll I'll add, let me just yeah. add the, the sin of programmatic is scale because that cloaks a lot of uh, places for bad actors to hide. Some advertisers need it. They absolutely do, right? But if you're a B2B, you need quality audience. Scale is not your biggest issue. Scale is not a goal. And so scale just created downward pressure on quality, 
pressure on impressions being the currency when you don't know if it's real. That scale thing opened up a lot of the trust issues that we have. I think well, scale. Be, I, 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 I want to move on. Um, <laughs> to, to mentioned uh, technology only company. Technology only companies. I want to talk about Right Media, one of my favorite companies. Sorry, Scott. Come, I think you're done. I'm by, sorry. You let Judy, you let Judy take people. my time here. It's like the debate. You let Judy take my time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Right Media, I feel was before their time. What happened to Right Media? Why did Yahoo buy them? We were talking about this. Why did they buy them and close them down? So I'm jumping in on this because I just read this interesting article from the 90s on um, New York, uh, New York Magazine about the founding of Right Media and everything that happened then. And I would say all we're talking about, every example we've given is the reinvention of the model due to technology. And the biggest um, issue with that is the ecosystem does not allow new to happen without putting various constraints. This idea that Richie introduced, you know, here of the click and the biggest sin and all that stuff, the reality is the agencies, when something comes new into the info, into the, into the ecosystem, the agencies go to lowest dominant, common denominator. Prove to me it works. I'm not spending money. You have to prove to me it works. A funnel approach to to marketing and you have the top of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel and it's the easiest thing for the ecosystem to allow the bottom of the funnel to proliferate and by the way the biggest sin on, on the on the internet today is having ios because tv had it right where you could do handshake agreements and 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 an industry can be built but right media was the first I think you'd say first, you know, precursor to double click, ad server, all that kind of stuff. Again, this idea of scale is getting killed in today's world because, and every one of these arguments is still happening just in a different kind of context. In today's world, you know, scale is all relative. If you have, uh, you know, left-handed drivers who are about to buy cars, and you get enough of them, and there may be three, right? You that scale, and so this idea of just big for big sake is being, you know, because of platforms is is getting questioned today. ESPN, CNN, they all had it right in the very beginning, and I think what technology does is it puts something out there, and then everyone kind of adjusts to it. So I would say all these companies that get bought by bigger and then, you know, let's not forget Broadcast.com and Mark Cuban, right? That was video right at the beginning. And sound, sight, sound, and motion, as has been said here, is always the name of the game. But until there was true sight, sound, and motion, there was pictures because print has existed since Aristotle. Right. So, so and last time I checked, he's older than all of us. So, so I would, I would say that right media didn't disappear it invented something it got sucked into something new and then as the next new happened it it got sublimated to that so scott can i ask you a question is it i'm sorry judy i just want to ask you a question so was a lot of the to ask answer paysock's question was a lot of the buying the yahoo or whoever the acquirer was was afraid about what was happening 
and they saw their part of their business model getting disrupted, so they just tried to acquire people. Well, I think and there's obviously not right because some worked, some didn't. No, there obviously that's that's part of it, and I think what happens is people buy companies, management changes. You know, we live in a world that's evaluated every three months by Wall Street for yeah. for for many of these companies. But I would say I would say that's some of it, but that's not but that's not all of it because you buy companies also to 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 get a skill. But I also remember there's another thing about the internet that until you know until the last eight ten years, you know, we all forget the media companies really didn't believe in the internet for a very very long time. And I you know I remember. When Go.com, and Rich, you may have been there at the time with me, when Go.com got introduced, the biggest challenge that, and by the way, if you go to Go.com right now, you pull up the Disney website. It's so the technology still exists, just the name doesn't. They introduced Go, and it didn't work. And they had all kinds of announcements and video and advertising. And until then, no one accepted the fact that digital advertising, the digital medium, is a constantly evolving thing. So to buy something, stuck it into another process, and then it evolves is probably very normal. But, you know, just but, as but many... Isn't, isn't just, that where agencies really, I think, dropped the ball and they didn't do anybody any good? They ignored technology for a long time, and then they felt that they needed to do it because the tech companies were going straight to clients. The so clients were buying tech, leaving the agency out, and then making the agency deal with it. So I always wondered why, and I, I my first job was a big agency, NWA, Rich, I, I know you know that one well. It was my first job. And I remember having arguments about Prodigy. This, I don't even remember how old, and I said, I'm telling you, that's the way it's going to go. Scott, and Scott was selling Prodigy, too. That was selling Prodigy. Hey, hey, Richie. <laughs> Sorry, Judy. Go ahead. No, no, no. All I'm saying Judy, is, it I was... think you're absolutely, you're you're absolutely right. The big drag on the industry has been the agencies because they were never technologically savvy, and they had a wake us when it's over mentality. And I remember in those early days of selling the internet. Um, I remember the people you know at Air. We used to work together. Um, in the broadcast television negotiation department, they were like, they could have cared less about the internet. And when I was at um, Starwave and we, Disney ended up putting an investment into us and I ended up going to ABC News to tell the, help those folks sell online advertising, the ABC salespeople could care less about the internet, right? This is 1998. And, you know, so that's, to Scott's point, the media companies didn't care. The agencies cared even less. Because I remember when, when I was at AIR and I said, hey, listen, we should get some PCs into the agency. And they were like, why do you need a PC? What's it going to do for you? How are you going to save money with a PC? And I'm like, well, how about scheduling meetings? How about you know, getting rid of getting rid of that mailman no, who delivers right. that envelope? You know that you know who walks around the office every day that you know moves paper around. But anyway, I mean, agencies were definitely one of the laggards, and it took them a long time to actually embrace the business and to start to invest and to buy 
And, you know, buying data companies is, you know, where we are today. And there's a lot more um, on the AI front where, you know, agencies are being consolidated with AI because that's the latest twist. Now, agencies want to be ahead on that front, which is ironic. But, you know, agencies have never been leaders in technology. It's just not what they do. Well, but let's just they say come agencies, along with. agencies don't have a great track record on purchasing things. Hey, hey, so wasn't, wasn't 24-7 Media bought by WPP for like yeah, yeah. 200, for yeah. 250 yeah. or something? Yeah. That was so that the when you, And then it disappeared. That was, the, that was the first transaction that they did. But, you know, 24-7 morphed into, into I forget Nexus. what. Nexus. 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 And that oh, was Oh, wow, yes. Yeah. That's right. It I did, forgot. It's like, it didn't disappear. It I think they changed for it. Yes. I, I think they yeah. you know how much money Group M made off a of non-disclosure Zaxis? That was that was a successful. Yeah, I forgot yeah, about a, that. It was a plague on the house. Good yeah, point. Good Shit, point. Good. No, Richie, I was Richie, I was saying to you, like when you asked the question of Scott, I found it really interesting when you're like, why would Yah why why did Yahoo want to buy a right media, right? And like the story about AOL buying ad.com in 2004 for $500 million, right? That was the first big like media company buys what a ad network, like what's going on here. The story behind that was really simple. So they had a partnership before the acquisition where basically AOL ad.com went to AOL and they said, we can get you better yield on your inventory than you can. That's it. We're going to solve a simple problem for you, right? Oh. You have tonnage of inventory. Oh. You can't, we're we're going to drive up your RPMs, your revenue per impression. Wow. Watch us do it. So AOL started filtering their inventory through ad.com, and the results were like 2x. Like they were getting like 50 to 100% lift on the, the CPMs, the, the RPMs. And so AOL was like, we got to buy this thing, you know? Wow. And so I didn't know I, that. I think that's fascinating, right? Like the, the ad.com came along. Like you can, we can sit here and talk about like, the original sins and all that stuff. But like these smart, I think the smart companies, all they were doing was trying to solve a problem in the moment, right? Like, let's try to solve a problem in the moment. Let's try to make more money in the moment. It wasn't necessarily bad intentioned, you know? So let's put yeah, that I in context. Yeah, com was bought. I was with John Ferber and Madison, in Bryant Square Park. Me and Monster Geller, we were at some party and John Ferber was just like drinking and happy. And I was like, <laughs> what happens? Like, we just got bought for Five hundred million. Well, time out. Well, time out. Here's the real story. There are no overnight successes. In two thousand and one, I had Phase Two Media. He had Advertising.com. We were very good friends. We both almost died, and Phase Two Media died. He fired almost his entire staff. He had raised more money than I did. He went back to a warehouse in Baltimore, and for three years they made nothing. So Paysock. The real stories are much different from what you read. Oh, John Ferber, overnight success. I give John Ferber all the credit in the world. We all got wiped out in 2001. More well, I know it was overnight success. I was selling TechnoSurf in 98 but before but, it was advertising.com. But 2001 is when everything, when the internet bubble burst, I think it was March 14, 2001, everything collapsed. Pet.com, all the overvaluations. And all of us who weren't valued, a lot of people got wiped out. Hundreds of companies got wiped out. And John and his brother, they got rid of most of the people. They, they, they took the pain. I give him all the credit in the world as an entrepreneur. He licked his wounds, went to the warehouse in Baltimore, and they developed the algorithm after that. And, and they were, it was a survival move. 
to huh. learn how to do things and Shiv nailed it. They went to yield because people, you know, that, that period from 2001 to 2010 where programmatic took off and there was the right medias and all that stuff. This was the experimentation stage. And you got to give John Ferber a heck of a lot of credit for everybody got wiped out. He pulled it together, pulled his horns in. They developed, his brother developed the algorithm. I think Shiv, I got that right. They did it in the warehouse. They went begging for people. They proved it. And then they were an overnight success after yeah, seven be, or eight be years. Scott Ferber, by the way. Yeah. 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 So, this, so sort of talking about the 2010s, I think that's like a, it's a point where everything changed. It was like the roller coaster decade. Suddenly everything was different. It became, it was no longer this niche play. It was center stage in the digital economy. Who were the trailblazers in 2010 in the programmatic? Well, I'd sector? say it's 2007, right? Because in 2007, four yeah, things I, happened. Right? Four things happened. Microsoft bought Ad ECN, Yahoo bought Right Media, Google bought DoubleClick, and MediaMath was founded, right? So right. really, it started in 2007. I'd say it started maybe picking up in 2010. That's when the trade desk came along and some copycats came along. But well, I'd say I'm going to say 2008 with the launch of the iPhone. Well, I, I think in terms of targeting, like, I think Shiv is right. And I think Shiv, yeah. back in 2007 was... When I was at X plus one, we were doing a tremendous amount of business with Google Ad Exchange. And I think we were one of the first customers of Google Ad Exchange. And we were using programmatic in its early, early stages. And as you guys may know, that's when Joe Zawatsky yep. left X plus one to go media math, form right? media math. And he had the vision after talking to Brian O'Kelly about programmatic and how it was going to eat the world. And they were right. Yeah. They were really right. So I think well, yeah, the double click exchange was, was, was unique. I remember I was, I was at a dinner with Jonathan Bond. I don't know if you Bond, the yeah. agency. And we were, I think we were beta testing it at the time. We showed it to him. He said, this is revolutionary. This is, I've never seen anything like this. We want to spend millions of dollars on it, but they didn't have necessarily the reach to spend millions of dollars. So we were booking like 50 here, 50K here and there, but they didn't, they still didn't have the reach. So, so Pesach, um, everything that Rich and Shiv is saying is 100% correct. It's nuanced with the iPhone in your pocket. We had rim pagers, we had the razor phone. We didn't have the internet on our phone. You gotta give credit to Apple. It put the computer in a stylistic way into your pocket and gave you a screen that took it off of the screen that we're working on today. It took it out of your office and out of your basement at home. And, and I think that along with everything else you're talking about, I think that growth of usage was the fact that we had it in our hands at all the time. And it totally revolutionized what the internet is today. And now let's come full circle to the start of the podcast where we were talking about how like the copycats always beat the originators, right? Like media math, Went bankrupt last year, as everybody knows, right? So Joe had the vision. Joe knew that this was going to eat the world. But then along comes Jeff Green in 2011. And Jeff Green says, back to what Judy was saying, the agencies have been too slow. But now they're all of a sudden realizing that. And, hey, let's build this thing just for the agencies. Let's yeah. empower the agencies. Yeah. Let's help them make money off of this because no one else has done that yet. Right. And the agencies yeah. control all this thing. And guess who's the biggest ESP today, right? It's the exactly trade desk. Right. So, that, that, you know, and their services. The they understood that you can't sell technology without a services piece to it. And they did an extraordinary so why did job. Fail? 
why did Media Math fail and Trade Desk do so well, well beside Jeff Green? Quite, I mean, I think Shiv put his finger on it. It was the fundamental decision yeah. to go to marketers and not to serve the agencies. And I think that, and, and Judy hit a really important point, which is to add a service layer on top yeah. of the technology because, you know, agencies don't necessarily have that ability to do that. And so it, it, it was that fundamental decision to, to go after agencies or not, which told, you know, the story of media math versus straight desk. Well, I know the defining point. moment in that period, you think, like in 2010 or around there, like something you remember that defines that era for you. Scott, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say that this, this, um, you know, in 2010, I think Richie's right. The defining point is the creation of the iPhone. I remember that um, I was at Comcast at the time and we had Fandango, which if you go back in the archives, you'll see that uh, Steve Jobs said there are three to five reasons you want an iPhone and one of them is buying movie tickets. And it was in those five <laughs> years that Fandango experienced dramatic growth because people started to look at Fandango, other places for movie times and, and buying tickets. And But I would say the other defining moment is the concurrent explosion of broadband um, you exactly. know, services yeah. for for people to bring this notion that, you know, video on demand. In 2001, uh, we looked at AOL at how fast are DVRs going to grow? And I remember we said it's going to take seven <laughs> years before they get to usage. And I believe it took a year that that DVR, you know, that, um, you know, you could go on cable and you could watch shows archived. And it moved really fast. Video on demand is is what got there. So I would say broadband Pesach plus the creation of the iPhone, which democratized the internet and made it a part of your daily life. Now everything is in hyperbolic speed because you have a generation of twenty year olds who uh, who plus who exist and only exist in a world that has iPhones and technology, and they're used to everything on demand. And, and and on time. And so now you're seeing just a repeat of the cycle and it's a true innovation curve. It's just going faster and faster. But, so but if don't you want forget, to that, uh, go ahead. Let me just make one quick point, Scott. Yeah. Don't forget though, what drives marketing and communications are very interconnected. It's the internet was a communications protocol to start. Then you had the digital marketing. And so every time you have a communication innovation with the exception of the AI for today, it became a, a, a leap for the digital marketing. So those two are very intimately connected in my mind. I just want to make that point. Sorry, Richie. So Judy, I actually love that. I was going to say to you, Pesach, it, there isn't one defining moment of 2010, 2011. I think what Judy just said is spot on. The entire ecosystem isn't digital marketing. I think we'd be remiss, and this is a little bit in the weeds, if we didn't talk about the fact that in the late mid-90s, a very smart gentleman named Erwin Gottlieb split media buying from the creative agencies. And you have to give some knowledge to the fact that 
you know, you could blame it on the clients, but the agency split. It used to be when Rich was a big wig at NWR and whichever agency it was, you got 15% and you did everything for the client. You did strategy, you did planning, you did creative, you did all this. Now they split media buying a lot. So now the media buyer doesn't, it's at a, it's a commodity. It's getting driven down. The costs are driven down. So Judy said 10 minutes ago about the services layer. What Jeff Green realized was he had a better mousetrap. Maybe it wasn't better than Joe. I don't know. They're both great guys. They both great, built great technology. But he realized the agencies could not do it. And they didn't have the money to train the people. It wasn't a Shiv Gupta to train them all and do all that stuff. And they didn't have the ability to do it. And that that bifurcation of media buying from creative and the way it has destroyed fees, because now you're seeing it's just a, it's a race to the bottom. We've all yep. seen it. We remember the GM pitch where an agency, you know, offered 20 percent lower rates and everything else. And the agency got wiped out for years. So that really, it was just it just just for clarification, it was the other way around. It Agencies went from a commission to a fee. Before media agencies split from creative agencies. Thank you. And, and also, Judy and I were there at AIR when the Media Edge was the first agency to split from a traditional agency. And I will, you know. It wasn't It wasn't Irwin with Televest uh, when it was DMBNB? No. No. It was, oh. it was the Marcella Media Edge at and, and yes, there was okay. the rationale for, hey, we're going to get you better buys. We're going to do, yep. you know, we're going to get you more efficiencies. But I will still swear to this day, it was because in every new business pitch we ever did, media went last. They couldn't get any respect. Nine times out of 10, they were cut out. It was, it, you know, we have a great media plan. Look at the leave behind. And I, I think the, the media agencies, the media people just said, Enough of this. We don't get any respect. We're going to create our own agencies. So the whole split wasn't about the economics. It was about respect. I love that, Rich. That's I awesome. think, I mean, yeah, the, that was, was Rich, you know. it, it might It might have had something to do with the fact that all these holding companies, which were created in that era, needed to make their quarterly profits. And by separating media, I want to go back and endorse Richie here, that by separating them, the idea of separating them and also setting up multiple media companies yeah. to deal with conflicts. It, yeah. Yes, it commoditized it on one hand, but on the other hand, it gave media today, I would argue that media is as important or more important than the Well, that's creative. always been the, that's been the debate and that's that only proves my point that media people think that they are as important or more important than the creative side. Richie, that, aren't that we gets right? No respect. Aren't we and, right, Richie? And, and by the way, NWR <laughs> was not part of a holding company, and they were the first ones who split the media agency off. Okay, with so, the media so I was technically correct. Irwin was the first one to split on DMBMB to Televest. All right, we both went. Fine, you got well, yeah. Rich, Wait, yeah, NWA is not in business anymore, and they were right. so a lot of agencies. Yeah. For the record, I was so the last one to get the point, pension out. To Rich's point and Scott's point about creative and the generational divide, I love advertising. I just saw the every year the Lamb Council, don't laugh at me, of Australia does a big ad like the um, the big department store in the UK because on Australia Day, which is coming up, 
for your history, world history, it's the largest day of consumption of lamb in the world. So they made this huge ad and it's all about the digital divide. Go go Google it online. The, the 2024 Australia lamb industry ad, it is great creative. Because it's Scott, it's all about the digital divide and the 20 year olds and this and that. Awesome creative. It just came out last, this week. There's my my creative plug. Pesach, you're on mute. Bill, can't hear you. You're still on mute. Pesach, we can't hear you. Your mic died, Pesach. Now we can't hear you, babe. It's terrible when the host's mic dies. Well, so I'll ask you a question. Pesach, Anybody think it's coming back together in? again? Does well, anybody I pressed, think? I press. Oh, there you go. That's why. There, there you go. go. We got you back, wow. babe. Sorry, what do you think, what role did regulatory scrutiny pay, play in this in 2010? I don't think it really None. did much of anything. None. I, I think, you know, Why? all of us who were at the IAB, I mean, it's always been a part of, of what we do. Um, you know, Washington policy, all that sort of stuff. There was really nothing that came down the pike. I think there there is more, you know, poise on on the privacy front, which Richie can talk to, that will be at the state level, not at the federal level, that will impact the business. Okay. I don't think it was back in 2010. I, I, anything. I think yes, I, the thing that the thing that the government didn't do back then, and they talk about it now, is they let Google buy uh, Invite and they let Google buy DoubleClick, right? Like that, and they let Google buy YouTube. That's what they didn't do, right? And they let right. Facebook buy Meta and WhatsApp. Yeah. Right. Right. Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Did I say the wrong one? What did I say? Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Meta. You, you got your yeah, brands yeah. confused there for a minute, but that's well, I think okay. it's a good time now to pivot to the present and peer into the future as ad tech continues to be a field of boundless opportunity and significant changes. How is the industry adapting into the age of privacy and regulation? Huh. Shiv, I know you love talking about this. Well, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, how, how is the industry evolving into the age of regulation and privacy? I, I mean, we're, it's early days. I think, first of all, that's that's important to note. It's early days. Um, it's not like we're fully baked. We're really I, at the start. This is not the end. We're not the end of, a, of this. Absolutely not. We don't have we don't have federal privacy law in the U.S. We've got a bunch of state level laws, and you know, a, a lot is yet to come. And you know, it's just the start. I think, and so we don't know. We don't know. Like, I think obviously there's there's been. Uh, influence in how we, how we, you know, we were talking a lot earlier in this podcast about how data now controls everything, right? And data mm -hmm. is the currency and data fuels, data is the oil. It's going to be interesting to see if that's true in three to five years, right? Or if we kind of like revert a little bit uh, to a different, you know, to back in the day. And so, you know, I think Richie, Richie's probably better equipped to talk about where we are from a privacy and regulatory standpoint. So here's what I'll say, Pesach. I think you can draw a straight line to GDPR being passed to programmatic advertising for about 10, 15 years for getting the consumer. We forgot about the consumer. We, we follow them around with ads. We do everything with their data. We abuse their trust. I think privacy is the biggest brand safety issue of the next 10 years going forward. All these privacy laws are that we can't understand how to do it right. And my example is you go buy a pair of sneakers on the internet, on Amazon, you buy them, it knows you buy them. It's the number one e-commerce site in the world. And you see that ad for the next 30 days. And everybody can have their example of it. Now, substitute a pair of sneakers for depression medication or 
um, an anxiety thing or a lotion or a cream because you're sick about something. The algorithm doesn't know the difference between sneakers and an addiction center, what you search for. The algorithm has no idea. And we've abused the consumer in a race to the bottom to just sell ads to people. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying this. That's why we have GDPR. That's why we got California. That's why we have the second California, New Jersey. You thought everything was legal in Jersey? As of this week, privacy is you know now the newest, the 13th privacy law. Washington, my health, my data covers everything that HIPAA doesn't cover, and it has a private right of action. This is going to continue. You've got 50 data breach laws. You're going to have 50 state privacy laws. There's a lot of reasons why you won't have a federal law. One of them is it's not in our constitution. Privacy is not a right. Privacy is a right in uh, the European constitution. I'm not a lawyer. I'm oversimplifying for this audience. Um, and the other reason is Washington can't decide what a ham sandwich is today. So to get a comprehensive federal privacy legislation, I'm not going to say never, but Pesach, I think it's, uh, I think it's a uh, highly unlikely we have it and more likely that we're going to have 50 data breach laws. And I think it's privacy and first party data is going to fundamentally change everything in the next 10 years for advertising. But, but it gets more tragic. Judy, do you think the industry is adjusting? I was going to ask you a question. Anyways, do you think the industry is addressing the ethical dilemmas in uh, targeting data usage in, in the no. right way? In my opinion, and I'll give you, uh, Richie, to build on your point. Here is the tragedy. Um, Meta recently sold data about one of its users to the police for because she went to get an abortion. You know, that is a tragic, tragic example. And, and I wish Shiv were here because it's a little bit of an indictment that he's saying it's just the beginning. To, to the point that we said earlier, digital marketing has been around a very long time. Data in digital marketing has been around a long time. So why are we just at the beginning? I don't understand. And I, I don't mean well, that in a philosophical Judy's way. Judy's 100% right. I mean, Pesach, laws are written by state attorney generals. State attorney generals go on to higher offices. The Washington attorney general is going to run for governor because the governor is term limited out. This law, he says publicly, it was written because of Dobbs. And it was written to protect people's data and location data, but to avoid any, you know, um, unconstitutionality being knocked out, it covers all health data. But he will, he's publicly said, this is because it dops. And this is right. to protect people's health data. Because people don't understand HIPAA, if Scott was my doctor, I'm only protected with Scott when I talk Correct. to Scott about my health. If I go to WebMD and ask for, you know, a skin thing or an ear thing, I'm not protected. I'm not covered under HIPAA for that. WebMD can sell that to I'm not picking on WebMD. But HIPAA does not cover you outside of your doctor. Correct. And that's and, what and none Washington of that has been none of that has been tackled and, and every, you know. every state law has sensitive data, Pesach. California just updated, Connecticut just updated, Colorado did, sensitive data. Washington, my health is inferred data. All of internet advertising is inferred data. You take the fact that they buy more toilet paper, they buy more NSAIDs, and they searched IBS, and you're going to send them a tux ad. That's how the internet, and that's how agencies work today. That's going to be Isn't illegal this, in Washington in April. Does that make sense? Is this going to get worse with, with, without cookies? Isn't this problem going to be worse? 
Well, there is a there is a way where things can get better with regulation and with the loss of third party cookies, and that's first party cookies or where brands are getting a more direct relationship with consumers. The the thing that the thing that we're kind of missing is the big picture is that the user experience on the internet digitally is broken. And great point. You know, great you're point. much better off in an e-commerce setting where the brand knows who you are, they know your purchase history, they know um, what you might be interested in, and there's a conversation that happens. That doesn't happen in a digital relationship right now. The value exchange is broken. And so, you know, I have this vision where consumers are gonna get compensated for their economic value from a advertising standpoint or from their data. And so where consumers can get paid for their data when they opt in. And I think that's really where things are going to go with brands and first party data, where they're going to start to reward customers for having a relationship and giving yeah. preferences and insights so that you can personalize and provide a better value exchange. I think that's that's where things are coming. So everybody loves to say that advertising is dead. Long live advertising. I think advertising is still sticking around. Yeah. You know, remember what I said before, it's like free rules. It's like everybody yeah. wants free. But in this scenario, people can get free stuff. They can get discounted stuff. They can get more personal content from their data um, if they give it away. And it's just, you know, the, the model is morphed. Advertising is, is all about the data right now. Wasn't that the model of all the free iPad? Are the free iPod ads? Though? Is that you? You would go in there and you would you would you would get points and you would you would eventually, if you gave enough data, you could get a free iPod or a free yeah. There's you know, yeah, and there's, there's a there's a startup called Caden.io which pays consumers for their data. If you sign in and you authenticate your um, Amazon account, your Uber account, um, and you can actually earn ten twenty bucks a month. There's the Brave browser where you can get paid. Um, Yahoo has a, um, a promotion where you can get a free phone if you opt in to provide their data. So this is the early stages, but I think more products and services are going to be free um, or heavily discounted for people giving up their data. But you've got to figure out the privacy part yeah. first. Well, right. You know, we, you've got to make sure that you have you're privacy compliant, you are giving the expiration of when those privacy permissions expire. There's a whole bunch of different things from an infrastructure yeah. standpoint that have to happen. But I do think that that's where things are gonna go with regulation and the deprecation of third-party cookies. And there isn't Judy, just saying, one approach. Yeah, there isn't just one approach. So, so I agree. I'm not as big a fan of pe paying people for their data because it's always going to be bupkis and people are always like, oh, I'm worth more than that. But put that aside. We take a very radical approach, to be honest, and we've been doing this for a while and we've been really thriving, which is we don't track anybody. We track topics. We understand with data which topics drive conversions. I don't have to track anybody. It's no need. So I don't have all of the issues and I could do it in marketing. I could do it in media. I can do it for content. And, and so there's going to be quite a few different approaches. I'm optimistic that at least that work is happening. Five years ago, it just wasn't even on the table much. You're 100% right, Judy. The scary thing is regulators don't understand this. And the way the regulators have written the laws, if you have an IP address, 
you're tracking personal data and yep. it's not you you could be doing the right thing but somewhere down the string that data is now captured by somebody that you're not aware of because on the average site there's three four hundred pixels on an ad unit most marketers don't even realize this a lot of publishers don't realize yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. and then that data is then taken and that IP address is put into a device graph and it's linked while you think it's contextual and you guys are Correct. doing the right thing that consumer's data is linked over here, and that's the problem. And is if you have that, that with first-party data too, that's my worry with first-party data. It's going to leak out. Once you go into sandboxes, it's going to leak well, out. So I don't understand that's where how. It's got to be, it's gotta be opt-in. I don't know. It's, it's but even if it is, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it myself as well. There, there's too much data leaking. There's yes, too much data leaking. And that's going to happen even with first-party data. So once you put it into some of these unified IDs, I don't know how it works. I'm being totally candid. It's, it's above my pay grade, but there is data leakage. So even in the but best Judy, of all possible worlds, yeah. You've worked for a client. You've been at the client. You're working with clients. If I'm a client today, I'm terrified. If first-party data is my oil and my gold, I'm, I'm terrified out there. Because that's my trusted relationship with the consumer. And Agreed. if I'm the one that broke that trust with the consumer and it gets tracked back to me, even though I had nothing to do with it because I put the ad 100%. out there and a pixel picked up something that was able to do it and they could come back and say, hey, client X, they tied me into you. Yeah. If I'm a marketer out there right now, I'm not happy. Marketers are terrified. I love that point, Richie. Marketers are terrified. They are just, they're just so overwhelmed with the risk calculations. You I, have, one of the things, it's one of the things that the tech lab is looking at in terms of yeah. the provenance of the data. And as yep. it's getting going down the path of being yep. shared, that's something that they're, they're focused on. And right. there are companies that are enabling with a blockchain sort of approach without necessarily, you know, being on the blockchain, which can talk about the providence of that permission. So there Scott, is a way to do it, and it Scott, is going to come, and it's, and it's opt-in. Scott? Scott? I want to introduce uh, a, uh, an idea that hasn't come up yet with this, with this data discussion, which is today's, and Richie and I have had this debate for two years, um, today's 20-year-olds, have an expectation of a service they're going to get, whatever that is, whatever, however mm -hmm. it transpires, and they have a acceptance that there's going to be a need to give data to get a lot of that. And I would argue with you that there is an age divide between people who worry about data, as you've heard on this conversation today, and a hell of a lot of people that just think it's par for the course and it's table stakes for me to get all these things I want. And I think that's gonna be going on a lot and as cookies go away, okay, mm -hmm. and marketing will matter much, much more. And then I believe you're right, clients will be worried about this, but I don't believe that, that the consumers will be as worried as you think. So how are brands and platforms fostering more meaningful engagement with audiences? Well, you've got Anyone? to provide some sort of benefit for that relationship. And there's got to be some sort of value. 
And you can do that by knowing more about your customer and then personalizing. Yeah. And so brands don't have to give discounts to consumers in order to provide some value to them. It can be better content. It can be a more of a personalized sort of experience. And so there's a lot of different things that can be done with that relationship. It doesn't have to be free stuff as much as right. I love free. Um, <laughs> it can be just a better user experience. And that's what brands you know, need to do. And I think, you know, we're in a um, transition, you know, understatement transition from a third party cookie to first party cookies. And then there's also something which I learned about a couple months ago called a zero party cookie, where a yep. zero party cookie is kind of more of a European construct where you're actually giving information to a brand and there's some sort of interaction. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. typically first party um, data is observed data. Watch what you do on the website. We came back here before. We know what browser you're using. We know what kind of connection you, you have. In many cases, that's the first party data, but it's really not that valuable. It's more valuable to know what a consumer really wants from a brand and what would be helpful for them. And that's zero party data. And so that's an evolution of first, it's a, it's a version of first party data, but I think that's where things are going to be going. Do you remember people PC? Well, I'm no. sorry. People PC, do you remember them? The free sure. PC you could get? Do you think that model could work now? What about free lot of many? You know, look, there, there's a, it, again, like everything and Rich is a hundred percent right. It's really nuanced. If you're a, candy manufacturer and you don't know who buys that candy for a dollar 25 at the gas station you have a different definition of first party data than a bank that has know your customer rules and there are some first party data if you have the relationship with your customer if you're gm and you know the customer and you've got them on your on the on star and everything else if you're a bank that first party data is very different and much more valuable more pharma and insurer, somebody that has that data on the purchaser, somebody who has somebody who buys something and has registration data, has warranty data is very different from there's a whole class of advertisers where they're not the seller. Right. You know, to Judy's point, they don't you don't have to have e-commerce to have a really big company. You know, it's hard. you could buy some personalized M&Ms online, but you're buying 99 percent of the M&Ms at a gas station or wherever you're buying them from. Which, they which don't makes it just sent me a text message reminding me we're running out of time. Oh, so I, my last question before everyone goes: What is the wildest, most exciting prediction for the future of ad tech? We can start with Richie. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't <laughs> we uh, can't start with Richie. <laughs> all right, fine. Uh, in ten years, the entire model is flipped, where we used to be buying broadcast radio, print, and then we bought internet, and that was you know niche audiences. I think the future is you buy Richie Glassberg. And I could be on Reddit, I could be on the New York Times with the Wall Street Journal, you're not buying the New York Times, you're not buying them, you're buying Richie Glassberg at scale. And I think it totally flips from buying audiences to buying real people. It's not a great Scott, person. what do you think? I don't wanna buy Richie, but- no. <laughs> Dude, dude, I'm you, why should I pay for you? Oh, no, God. I would say to you- We got him for free here. I'm going to give you an answer that I think may be happening, which is 
humans won't create ads anymore. Yeah, I wanted to get more on AI, but we just couldn't get to it. That's true. Humans won't I'm create at, ads. I'm actually in the living room. This whole thing has been an AI avatar. Basically. Yeah. Well, that does it's better than you things. in person. I know. <laughs> I was going to speak to. I, I was actually uh, had a phone call this morning with uh, supposed to be with Anthony speaking at the IAP Tech Lab, but he's stuck in Vegas still. Um. So, Rich, what do you think? Well, it's a little bit of what I have already um, previewed before, which is I think in five to ten years there will be products and services that are essentially free or heavily discounted for your data and your attention. Attention is another big part of this whole thing. Um, and I think that to me is pretty much a no brainer that that's really where things are going to go. Yeah. Before I get to duty, I think one of the things will be site specific sales. I think that's going to come back in channel sales. I think we're going to start selling the audience again. I think that's something we have to do. I mean, I used to sell gaming networks and I remember when I went even talking to GameStop about gamers, you know, 20 years ago, they're like, well, why would we want to advertise online? Mm -hmm. Your whole audience is, and I think that's going to happen again. Last but not least, Judy, what's so, the wildest prediction you see? It's not, it's, it's wild only because you have to, if you read Exhalation, there, there's actually a short story in there about this. But I personally believe users, individuals will have their own AI agents that will be trained by them. For them to go fetch and that becomes a very big opt-in engine for advertisers i'm going to hawaii find the hawaii stuff those are advertising moments so that's my will be advertising to ais no 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 i have my own little ai agent i'm judy consumer i'm going to hawaii right so i saved my ai agent go find me all cool trips all cool promotions that AI agent becomes almost like a media channel, so advertisers can put in offers. And I want them. I'm going to Hawaii. But once I'm done, I kill the AI. To read the book Exhalation, it's really a fascinating, it's a fascinating understanding of how, you know, training your own AI is really, really what I think AI's real based application will be. My personal. <laughs> Jobs in AdTech. Are you looking for a new role in the industry? Head over to jobsinadtech.com today. Employers attract top talent for as little as £50 per open job role. And that's all, folks. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform or YouTube.